truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Good afternoon, morning, or whenever. However, you're choosing to listen to us on demand. Maybe it's a, the middle of the night because you can't sleep. So you thought, let me fire up this podcast. That ought to do the trick. This is the Steve Day Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is how you can dial in uh, and have your voice heard here at the Blaze. We're, we're not taking calls today, but if you just want to call them and just, you know, chat. Uh, while they're in the middle of producing the show down in Dallas, I don't think they'll mind. I, I know they get a little lonely, bored down there, and would mind uh, getting your thoughts on the weather and other uh, very serious topics. You can also email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Uh, coming up here later on today, Theology Thursday, we're going to answer a question from... One of our contemporaries here in conservative media sent this to me via direct message. I said, hey, do you mind if I answer this on the show? He said, I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to do that coming up for Theology Thursday. Three non-political questions coming your way. Also, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to wade into this debate. We, we've, we've kind of watched it from afar because I wanted to be convinced that this was not another proxy fight this is the united 93 election versus uh never trump for evs okay i mean you know I, I did all those shows i wrote all those columns i did all that three years ago and i am permanently retired from all of that uh and have moved on so i wanted to make sure this was just not a leftover remnant of that but now it's actually it, at first it kind of looked that way but now it's kind of getting good so we're going to wade in to this debate between two prominent writers, one at First Things and the other at National Review, who have been going back and forth along with their allies uh, in social media, and now they're doing it head-to-head in a series of debates about the path forward for conservatism. We're going to talk about that here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks, first, we must find out from Aaron about what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by You to Real Terrorists. Here's a startling statistic. Since 9-11, right-wing terrorists have killed more people in the United States than jihadist terrorists. That's according to New America. There are some folks for who their, for their own political purposes would like to keep the focus on only one form of political violence over another. But that would be unwise. Yes, that actually aired on CNN yesterday. New York Times tweets, 18 years have passed since airplanes took aim and brought down the World Trade Center. In other news, numerous reports yesterday suggested that the Trump administration is getting set to ban flavored e-cigarettes. This comes after a few people have died reportedly from vaping products. Raise your hand if you knew that the president could just, you know, unilaterally ban stuff. All right, then. Learning Spanish today. Today's phrase is, why not slap a tariff on e-cigarettes? ¿Por qué no aplicar un arancel a los cigarrillos electrónicos? Moving on, the squad is back at it. We'll start with Rashida Tlaib. Uh, Mr. Homan, uh, as a fellow American, I just want you to know your contribution as acting director of ICE under this administration will always be remembered as one that was very ruthless and inhumane treatment of asylum seekers. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I literally made a student loan payment while I was sitting here at this chair. Um, 
And I looked at my balance, and it is $20,237.16. And I just made a payment that took me down to $19,000. So I feel really accomplished right now. Speaking of magnificent, here's some catharsis. What we're watching is the United States military pounding a, quote, ISIS-infested island, end quote, into oblivion in northern Iraq. That's according to a statement released by the U.S.-led coalition assigned to the continued battle against ISIS. It's truly a beautiful sight. What's not a beautiful sight are the following few items. We'll start with a lack of self-awareness. Time magazine dedicated an entire issue of their magazine to so-called climate change. The magazine CEO, Edward Felsenthal, remarked about the magazine, quote, Notably, what you will not find in this issue are climate change skeptics. Core to our mission is bringing together diverse perspectives. Alrighty then. So much for bigoted chicken, the people of Brooklyn, New York this morning lined up around the block for the opening of Brooklyn's first Chick-fil-A location. This was all before 7 a.m. Stop gendering penguins. What we wanted to do was to take the opportunity to raise the whole conversation with guests who come through to the aquarium, just to raise that exact point, Mm. um, that there is a difference between gender and sex. Um, And in terms of the way that we manage the colony at the aquarium, we wouldn't manage them differently based on whether they are females or males. Um, What we wanted to do with this chick was give guests an opportunity to meet that individual and, and learn about its personality without assigning it any sort of preconceived sort of gender roles. What you just heard was an aquarist at London's public aquarium bragging about how they raise their penguins genderless. And finally, four crew members of a capsized cargo ship off the coast of Georgia were recently rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard. The ship was leaving the port of Brunswick, headed for Baltimore. While the loss of property is certainly disturbing, and while it's good that there were no fatalities in the incident, the real story here is this photo snapped by Associated Press photographer Terry Dixon. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, but this one may be worth a few more. And that's what happened while we were away. That photo is... Um... What happened to Western civilization is that photo. Again, we've had a lot of those photos. Add that one to the list. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Home Title Lock. And they know that most of us have tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of equity stored up in our homes. It's our savings account, a retirement nest egg maybe, or just something you know is there in case you need quick cash in an emergency. But now imagine when you go to take advantage of that investment, your equity is gone. Uh, Stolen by online thieves. It's called home equity theft. The FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes because what's happened is scammers have realized that a lot of our mortgage information and a lot of our home titles are kept online and databases that they can hack. So they do that, then forge their name onto your documents to make it look like you sold your home to them. They take out loans against your equity and then stick you with the payments, maybe even the foreclosure notice. You may already be a victim of this and 
and not even know it. So no bank or identity theft protection can protect you, but for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title so that if they detect anything nefarious happening with your title or mortgage, uh, they will mobilize to help to shut it down. Protect your most valuable asset from online thieves, and you can do that right now by going to HomeTitleLock.com, enter your address to see if you're already a victim, and register now for 60 risk-free days of protection. 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. You know, I've never done this before, and so I'm going to do it right now. Aaron, out of curiosity, if you were, if, if the roles here were reversed, yeah. and I put the montage together and you were sitting in this chair, mm-hmm. what is it that you would lead off the conversation with today, looking at this rundown? See, I think our minds have melded. I was about to tell you when you first came in this morning, good luck finding something to talk about of note or of import in that montage, because it's stupid. And I mean stupid not as an adjective, I mean that as a noun. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally, you, you lead off with CNN calling right-wingers the biggest terrorist threat on 9-11. That's your lead story? Um, I, I mean... It, it, and the man I, who's saving, I, saving Western civilization I, I is what we're being told. I can't even. Uh, I can't even because, right because six Because six nitwits have no self-control. Isn't that the amount of deaths? Six? That's, uh, I believe that's, it's what, six. I've, that's what I've read. Right, because six nitwits have no self-control and had terrible parents. And because his, uh, his, his wife got worked up about it. I, I'm not saying that. That's what he said. He said his wife got worked up about it. Um, we're going to have a massive constitu- constitutional overreach and just start banning products. Right? I mean, is it, isn't that... If, if you want... How did we get here? You know, there's a fascinating piece in Politico of all places, and it's only because it was in Politico that I chose to look at it. Because they're trying to figure out, where is Pete Buttigieg getting all this money? So tonight we have the next Democratic presidential debate. Today's overtime, if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber. Uh, we're going to sit down with our White House correspondent, John Miller, and the four of us are going to predict what we think the big headline's going to be come out, coming out of tonight's Democratic presidential debate. So if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, you get the overtime as part of your, the package of all the exclusive goodies you already get. If you're not yet one, go to blazetv.com slash days, get your Blaze TV subscription at a discounted rate using take advantage of my name for something good for once, blazetv.com slash days. So to get, kind of get ready for this conversation, and, 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 and I was looking at some of the latest data numbers and what's going on with some of the campaigns, and, and I saw this story in Politico. And it's only, like I said, it's only because Politico wrote it that I went there, okay? They're trying to figure out how, how it's possible Pete Buttigieg is getting about 3% more in the polls than, than the three of us are getting right now. And yet he is raising, pardon the pun, ungodly sums of money. See what I did there? See what I did there? Huh? I'm here all week. Try the veal. Okay, so he's raising these ungodly sums of money, and we haven't even pumpkin spice jitters. And so, how you like them apples? We just did. We just did. So he's raising all of this money, and he's and he's he's got, you know, basement dweller numbers, and they're trying to figure out who were his supporters, and it and it shows, and and it just shows a massive disconnect. Okay. 
between the left America and what's and and even in some of some aspects in in their own party, what's left of America. That Alyssa Milano's Twitter account is not America. It's it's not even America in most places where people vote Democratic. It's it's not America where people vote Democrat in Idaho or Nevada or Arizona. It's not. It just happens to dominate where people vote Democrat in New York and California. You know, the media centers. And it's it's fascinating to watch the uh, the ant- when you go through this the answer is so obvious this is the answer i mean just you know brooklyn new york is is not by the way they've done a great job renovating that it, i mean that borough has had a massive comeback um when i go to new york city i often travel through brooklyn in order to kind of avoid some of the main traffic areas so i've seen a lot of that borough it's it's a gorgeous place okay but you know, it, it's a nice suburban. It's a nice. It's got a nice suburb feel to it. But this isn't some conservative Valhalla. And and did you see that line outside the Chick Fil A at seven a.m.? All those bigots. All those bigots waiting in line there in Brooklyn. A buddy of mine who lives in New York City, that, who lives in Manhattan, tells me that it's like that outside the Manhattan Chick Fil A almost every single day. And that the biggest complaint he hears is. Why isn't this place open on Sundays? <laughs> right? So that that's what most of America is. It's just they don't, you know, have any real say in in the control and power within the Democratic Party or the way that it messages itself and it's among its media allies. And we have this dynamic on one hand. Okay? Where Politico can't figure out how Pete Buttigieg is raising all this money and yet has no support. And, and then they want to pretend like they don't know the reason why he gets 0% amongst black voters in all these polls. They want to pretend like they don't know, but they know. They know. Okay? And, and it's because um, black America is far more socially conservative than white America is. If you want to know why we got marriage amendments passed in California... And in all kinds of democratic states, when those battles were going on a decade ago, it's because we had all kinds of black voters cross over and vote with us on marriage. In Maryland, marriage, marriage outperformed Mitt Romney. In the, on the, it, it still lost on, in the 2012 election, but it, out, it outperformed Mitt Romney by like 10 points. Why? Because a whole bunch of people that were voting for Obama were voting for marriage, and they weren't white. I mean, chances are, if you were voting for marriage and you're white, you were voting for the Republican. All right? So the vast majority of people who voted Democrat and then voted for marriage were not white. They were black. So black America not signing up for the charge in the Light and the Loafers Brigade. And so the Democrats want to pretend like this isn't, is not happening. And, so the, and then they can't figure out, well, where's all this money coming from? It should be so easy to defeat this. It should be. You know, I, I, saw, I saw our buddy Chris Pandolfo tweet out yesterday um, a, a story that alludes to some of the things I'm talking about, how black America is more socially conservative. And he's like, well, you know, this is how Republicans can reach black voters. How old is Chris? 
about your age, right? 25, 26? Uh, yeah, just a little bit younger than me. Yeah, I remember when I used to say that when I was that age, too. I remember I was a young activist. Remember those days, son? I do. Yeah, and you, you know, and, and you'd go talk, you know, you were playing basketball at the Y and stuff, and particularly if you grew up in a, in a state that's a community that's pretty racially diverse, like in Milwaukee, right? Sure. Or a state that's pretty racially diverse, like in Michigan, like I did, you know? At the Y playing hoops or hanging around, you know, your your kids are playing their kids, and you guys get to talking about issues, and and you're like, boy, they're they're pretty socially conservative. You'd go back to your Republican buddies, you know, you go to your county Republican meeting, and you're like, you know, guys, I, they're really with us on a lot of these on a lot of these uh, moral and social issues. You know, there's no reason that they that this is demographic ought to be voting ninety one percent Democrat. And you'd be like all eager and tell them and, and, and then they'd like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Then you go back, you know, to your church league game, right? You talk to your, your black friends your, your, or your, your, uh, the parents that are black on your kid's team again. And you're like, any Republicans ever knock on your door or talk to you? What's you what was always the answer, Todd? What was it? Tell us. What was it always? Uh, what? No, never. <laughs> never in a million years. <laughs> I, there's a there's somebody I, I interviewed several years ago did a documentary called Fear of the Black Republican, and the and the documentary was that it wasn't Democrats who feared the Black Republican, it was the Republicans, that he lived in in, in a you know a, a middle class um, urban neighborhood in New Jersey, with a lot of socially conservative minorities, and particularly blacks, and he would try to mobilize them, and, and the Republican Party just had no interest in bringing them on board, none. The guy I dedicated this book to, Jonathan Narciss, once told me a story here in Iowa how he had registered 2,000 African-Americans in the, as Republicans in Iowa. I mean, that's a pretty big number in a state like ours. First of all, we only have, like, what, 3% of the population of Iowa is black anyway. So if, if you've got 2,000 black folks in Des Moines to vote in a city council meeting or a, a county um, you know, a, a county job, oh, a county a office meeting, that's, that changes the election. Yeah. And, and the Republican, and, but the Republicans just weren't interested in having them. Oh, they wanted their votes, but they didn't want them involved. Why? Well, because that meant we had to compete with somebody to be the treasurer, to be on the central committee. It's the same way they treat us. They want you to show up and vote, but they don't want you to be involved at all after that. And you so, think you're talking to S.H.I.E.L.D., but they're really Hydra. Let's, yes, yes. So it, it should be so easy. Time Magazine's out there. Here's our commitment to diversity. We have everybody here in lockstep on this issue with no skeptical commentary whatsoever. Most people look at that, regardless of how they vote in the last election, most people look at that and are like, what, what a ship of fools. What a bunch of morons. This should be so easy to beat. It should be. <laughs> should i go there yeah yeah i'm gonna answer my own question i'm gonna wait for todd yeah i'm gonna pumpkin spice it i'm going there okay let me tell you why it's not because you kind of figured out who the republicans were you figured that part of most of you figured that out okay and that's why the last two candidates standing in this last primary of 25 
what was the field of 25 or 26 officially announced candidates we had in, in the 2016 GOP presidential primary. And the last two candidates standing were the two candidates that the party apparatus hated the absolute most, hated the most. Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. So, so that's good. Okay. That's, I, I see that as progress, right? That you guys are, you're getting it. You're waking up. It was almost like you were just kind of sitting around waiting to see who, who did the, who did, who did the DC Republicans can't stand. And I'm going to start paring my list down from there. Okay. That is step one. Okay. But here's the problem. You thought that the alternative to this was going to be somebody with no history of standing up for you or defending you on any of these issues whatsoever. Instead, his history is actually replete with being opposed to you on these issues until recently. But hey, you know what? He's got this persona and he's a bull in a china shop and he's got all this money so he can't be bought off. Right, right. Am I, is, do I yeah. have the narrative straight so far? Yeah, it's right. All okay. good. Dots are. T- yep. And and so he was just going to go in there, drain the swamp, man. And instead, what he did is he tariffed our own farmers. Aaron, the line there about why not tariff e-cigarettes? I I I died. I and I almost couldn't continue on with this show. <laughs> okay. So instead he went in there and tariffed our own, our own uh, people. Well, taxed them is another way of saying it. So he went in there and he taxed our own people and um, uh, is, is, a, is, is, is trying to mainstream. Now he is saying that he thinks Iran is a country with opportunity. I agree, but, he, but I'm concerned because that's what he said about North Korea before he went over there and made a fool out of himself. A wussified fool, just emasculated himself before the the bull-haired cut butcher of Pyongyang. The Iranian people have all kinds of potential. They're re, the regime that's been oppressing them since 1979 does not. And the idea that after 40 years of doing this to their people in the name of Allah, that 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 Cheeto Jesus is going to show, show up there and say, I'm actually your 12th imam. And you guys, you guys really should reconsider this. I mean... Do you understand? You could have lines outside the Tehran Chick-fil-A too. And then they're just going to sit there. The Ayatollahs are going to sit there and they're going to say, you know what, man? Hot damn. We just. Why didn't you tell us there was waffle fries in it for us? We could have done this all along. And they've got this new mac and cheese over there at Chick-fil-A. I can't wait to try it, by the way. I haven't tried it's it. Excellent. Tried, is it excellent? It yeah. is excellent. And, and you know what? I take it back. Now is the time to try this. Now that they've added that yes. mac and cheese to the menu, the Ayatollahs were probably right there on the brink. And now that they're like, mac and cheese, talk to me. It's like the buffet after, like, at the White House for the Clemson football team. Yes. Just let's let it roll. Yes. Just let it speak for itself. Yes. And, oh no, my wife is concerned that Barron's rich friends have nothing to do, you know, because they're not doing service projects. So when they're done with boarding school or they come home uh, from the Sidwell School for Friends and they just, and they don't know, have anything to do, they're out there, you know, dropping flavored vapes and, ri- and wasting their lives. Of course, they've already shared hours of porn on their smartphones, consumed who knows how much trans fats. This is stupid. Stupid. Remember? Okay. The fact, so 
you know what? If you are, if you're a MAGA person and you were mocking Mitch McConnell for busting out with raise the smoking age, here's your sign. Okay. And this is the, this is why this, we, this, these leftists should have been defeated like 20 years ago. There's just, there's no, there's, there's no platform interested in, interested in doing it. I mean, do you understand, you know, when, when Obama did stuff like this with, you know, well, my wife wants to fix the school lunches. They laughed in Tehran, Pyongyang, in Moscow. And we all know it. And we all said it at the time. So what do you think they're doing right now? Well, you know, she's got a son and she's worried. So, you know, so every time somebody's worried, you can just ban stuff. Does that sound like a president? You know, I said I wanted to see a little more authoritarianism out of Trump. But like, not the dumb one. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is just, this is, this is just dumb. It's stupid. It's dumb. And they're out there. They're out there regendering penguins. Like no one, not even in the UK, which you know how many people just voted for Brexit, not even knowing what it is because they got up one morning and after they got done with their strawberries and cream and had a cup of tea, they turned on the BBC morning show and saw them talking about regendering penguins. And they just said, when is that vote? We have, remember the story of the, the Catholic woman, the devout Catholic woman. Yes. Who, yeah, who's, yeah, yeah. who's the white nationalist gal? And is it in France is who I'm thinking of. Okay. And, 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 they, and, and she's like, I don't even agree with this woman and yeah. actually think she's a racist. I'm just so sick of the dumb that's being yeah, fed to me. France, yeah. And I'm just going there to vote for her. Just to, she didn't put it this way, but I'll finish the last line just to stick the, just to sh- show the middle finger to the people running this country, running and, and, and working our media. I mean, the entire left is the Alex yes. Jones show. Yes. The penguins are gay. The frogs are gay. All of it. Science, yes. everything. How, how did Ringo Starr yeah. vote for Brexit? How did it happen with peace and love? How did he vote for Brexit, guys? Because he turned on the BBC one morning and literally saw I am the walrus was in the news. Yes. It was. Was in the, no- was that, the news. Yes. That's my point. Yes. I am the walrus was the news. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm getting too old for this bleep. Where do I vote? Somebody has to stop this. And so our answer is courts do universal injunctions and there's nothing we can do. There's, there's nothing we can do. Nothing. But we can ban the vapes. 70,000 criminals potentially came through the border last month. Six idiots, nitwits, died from vaping. And we must do something because Melania has spoken. I was talking to a good friend of mine this morning and about this and and she pointed out that this entire presidency has been has has really been two things debunking and exposing fake news like the clip from CNN that you had deleted off right and then Trump coming up with something nuts or crazy and the base freaking out that that is is that kind of what this has been really Really, for the one last one way or the other, these have kind of been the tent poles here. I mean, I, what Jesse Kelly posted this morning on Twitter. Let me see. I get up. I've got an election coming up. I'm behind, but I've got record unemployment. Um, let me see if I can come up with a stupid nanny state policy that'll just piss everybody off. 
done. Yeah. I'm going to bring the Taliban to Camp David during 9-11 week. I'm, I'm bending over. I'm negotiating. Trump right now hey. with the Iranians is like John Boehner with the Obama White House. Negotiating against himself to get some sit down with Rouhani, who is the figurehead in Iran and not even calling the shots like the dude in Iran, Ahmadinejad, whatever his name was. Those guys are all figureheads. The Ayatollahs call the shot. The Khomeini's call the shots. This looks weak. Weak. If, if you can't beat the... I, I, here's, our, here's our commitment to diversity by pointing out we're all global warming cultists and we're gendering penguins or regendering penguins. If, if we can't beat them, then you know what, man? We, then we deserve everything. We, we, we deserve this. We deserve it. Yes. This will be the worst self-inflicted cultural collapse of all time because it will be the absolute dumbest. There's people lined up in Brooklyn, New York, outside Chick-fil-A. How many of them do you think voted for Trump? Probably not many. Lined up outside the Chick-fil-A in Manhattan. How many think I'm voting for Trump? Probably not many. Those are people who are just like, you know what, man? I just want a good chicken sandwich. Leave me the hell alone. It ought to be really simple to craft a message in a platform to get those kinds of people to align with you to say no to the, the crazy. Apparently it's not, because the Republican Party's been able, unable to do it under different iterations for a couple of decades now. More in a moment. So over the years, I've lost well over 100 pounds, and, uh, and, and I get the frustration and the stops and starts that go with a weight loss. So if you're wondering why aren't you making some of the progress that you had hoped for, um, even though you're getting active, you're, you're trying to do the things that, uh, that get you back on the right side uh, of, of being healthy, it, it could just simply be that your body is missing a key molecule or it, it's... it's maybe not working at the rate that it should. It's called OEA. And the way that it works is uh, it's the molecule that was put in your body to be the check and balance against the way our bodies were devised, which is to store uh, calories and to crave calories. You have to understand, you know, it's only been in the last century and a half that food was conveniently acquired by the human species in mass. All right, so most of, of, of human history was, was not made that way. And so your body will both crave, but then also store calories. So you've got you to gotta use this molecule, OEA, that your creator put in there that sends the signal from the, brain, uh, or from the belly to the brain to say, hey, we're full. Now, for too many of us, that molecule just isn't as strong as it needs to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. FDA accepted. All it is is just this OEA. It's not loaded with caffeine, chemicals, stimulants. It's only got like a couple of ingredients. Okay. That's why it got accepted through the FDA. If you want to see if this is the missing link, uh, and it's it's vegetarian, gluten-free friendly as well. So I, I've used this in the past. I've 
had never had any one of our listeners or viewers say, hey, I've tried it, had any complications. If you want to give it a shot, right now you get a three-month supply for 30% off if you use my name as a promo code, Steve, at riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. This might be what's missing to help you uh, get those portion sizes and those cravings under control. All right? Riduzone.com, promo code Steve. Let's go to Matthew Peterson is here with us now from the Claremont Institute. And he's been following uh, what has become uh, a very fascinating debate here on the right. And we want to welcome him back here to Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Matthew, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Great to be back. So... I want to get your take, and I want to make sure I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Is it so? Is it so? Rob Amari? Is that is it? First things yeah. is that that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rob. All right. So, so Rob Amari and David French at National Review have been going back and forth for a few months now, yeah. and and I just want to make sure you you know where I'm coming from on this as we get started with this conversation. When it first began, I went out of my way to ignore it. And the reason I went out of my way to ignore it, as I've said to the audience uh, before you came on, is is I didn't want to get involved in any kind of proxy fight left over from 2016. You know, there's there's still a lot of people that are friends on the right that had deep divisions about how to handle that election, and and they look for opportunities when Trump does something good or something bad. I'm sure you've noticed this. They look for opportunities to needle their friends who were on the other side of this debate, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't want to revisit the United 93 versus Never Trump thing. Okay, and I wanted to see if it was true that this is not a proxy for this, but it's really about what's the path forward for conservatism. And I think what's what's happened in the last few weeks, especially as it's demonstrated, there's a lot more going on here than just that. And that's why I want to share some of that conversation with our audience, because now they're even meeting face to face and having these sorts of dialogues. What's Mm -hmm. been interesting to you about what's been transpiring there? Well, first off, as you said, I think you see how long this thing has gone on, right? And and it shows that this isn't just a, a, a petty squabble, although I can see how people would think that because it, it does become personal, right? It's Rob Amari, uh, op-ed editor at the New York Post versus David French, uh, editor at National Review, uh, who toyed with the idea of running for president uh, in 2016 as a alternate to Trump. Uh, so, so... Y- it's not petty, though. And the reason it's been going on so long is because it speaks exactly to what you were just talking about. What is the path moving forward? What is conservatism now and what is it going to be? Does it have any problems now? What are those problems and, and what's it going to be moving forward? And so on one side, you have Amari who's saying we're not making moral arguments. We're not we're not making the kinds of arguments that you'd make if you ostensibly wanted to win in the public square. Uh, you wanted to win as in you wanted your policies and laws to be put in place as opposed to the other side. Whereas David French is saying, no, no, you have this all wrong. We need to argue for a seat at the table. Uh, we need to argue for viewpoint neutrality, for instance, in the courts to make sure that there's free speech and we still have a seat at the table. Whereas Amari wants to argue, we need to argue that we're right. We're right fundamentally about various things. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think maybe that's the best 50,000 foot w- level way to put it. But what's at stake, and I think what your audience probably already knows, is what exactly is this thing on the right moving forward? And what you see are a number of younger people uh, asking questions and and uh, making bold and provocative statements. And just my cards on the table, I've become friends with Sarab in the last few months. We uh, we co-edited a we, – we, we all signed 
a statement at first things against the dead consensus that said we need to do some things differently moving forward. So I have tried to be, I've had some fundamental disagreements with, with, with David in the last few years. He's been a guest on this show several times in the past. And I've tried to be as fair from where he's coming from as I possibly could because I, I understand why someone who is a soldier mm-hmm. and served in a war where he witnessed cultures collapse, you know, collapsing because of generations and centuries of sectarian division. Okay, mm-hmm. I can understand why he would be very hesitant be, before we go to the you know what it's 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 one worldview or the other here. I, I understand that. What I don't understand, and I wrote about this actually for a column that's coming out later today at the Blaze. What what I don't understand though is when is is for that same soldier mm-hmm. who I understand why he's hesitant to go to war. I don't understand though when the other side says we're actually not concerned about any of the accommodations that you are, and so we're going to fire on you whether you fire back or not. What I don't understand is just sitting there and saying don't fire back even though they're firing on us. I mean, and look at the the drag queen story time hour is kind of a is kind of a breaking point for me. Because that's not a, a moment of accommodation. That is a moment of, 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 of occupation. That is, we have kicked your viewpoint out of all these public arenas, and we didn't do it for the intent of ever giving you a seat at the table, but so that we can replace you with us. That's why we're doing this. And, and you'll put your children on our lap as we you know normalize our psychosis. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, you're a bigot. This isn't something that you can, when, when a public institutions are sinking to this depth, Matthew, I don't, they're way beyond, you know, accommodation, accommodation, diversity, diversity. I mean, Time Magazine's got a cover out today. Here's our climate change issue. And we're proud of our commitment to diversity by having no skeptics in it. And that's the part of this I don't understand is that, is, is, is that we were jettisoned for the public square explicitly to normalize uh, this, this rise of paganism. Why does he believe, do you think, that he can find some accommodation with it? That's the part I don't get. Well, I mean, I, I, and I want to be fair to him because obviously I, you know, I have a, a, some stakes in this. But I think that what David thinks is he thinks like a lawyer, right? So he is a lawyer. He's defended Christians in the public square, in the courts. And so he looks at this very kind of libertarian ju- jurisprudence and he says, well, the best I can do is I can argue for free speech and, you know, a seat at the table, as I said. I mean, I can argue that, you know, you shouldn't do that to me. Christians should have the same rights as everyone else. And we're in a pluralistic society and we all should be able to have our say. Now, the problem is that when it comes to the, the deepest understanding of politics, it, it, there, it's an argument about justice, about what's just and what's good. And you can't scrub that out of politics. And I think... That's what's upsetting people like myself, people like Sarab, is you, it's fine maybe pr- practically, prudentially to argue for free speech rights, for instance, uh, in the courts, but that's not a long-term strategy. The long-term strategy is to argue what ought to be done, what's really good, what's really just, because the other side is not going to stop, as you say, and they're going to they're going to kick us all out of the public square. They, they, they explicitly say this. And furthermore, and this is the important point, I think, furthermore, The left is making moral arguments about justice. They're not saying, oh, well, you know, uh, drag queens should go to the uh, to the library like everyone else. They're saying, no, drag queens should come in and read books to your children 
Yep. Because this is a good transsexual, you know, this is a good thing. Transhumanism is a good thing, and we're going to promote it with the force of law. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's a, there's a bit of a, a lie we've told ourselves that you can have a pluralistic society that's completely neutral. You can't, right? Laws are going to be aimed to encourage certain kinds of behavior and other kinds of and, and discourage other kinds of behavior. And certainly, uh, we're a free country, but at the end of the day, ultimately, someone's view of justice is going to prevail. Exactly. I don't even fault him. In fact, I, I might have even been on his side of this argument a few years ago. I don't, I don't even fault him for wanting to exhaust all of the normalized um, options and institutions on the table before yeah. you go to DEFCON 1 in a culture war, because that's a steel cage match, man. Two worldviews enter, one leaves, and there's going to be a high collateral, body count and collateral damage as you figure out which one of those comes out of there alive, right? I, I, don't, I don't blame him for that. What I don't understand, though, is the idea that you're still negotiating here while the tanks are rolling through the Sudetenland. I, I, yeah. well, you're still negotiating here while the troops have mobilized the Rhineland. Right. I, that's the part I don't understand. Like I, I get wanting to exhaust all of the official avenues. I get why a soldier who has seen what war does and sectarian differences due to cultures. I get why he wants to use all the normalized options on the table. What I don't understand is why doesn't he see that they have taken all of those options off the table? Why doesn't he see that? Uh, well, so so here I think uh, we, we just published a very interesting article on AmericanMind.org, which I'm editor of uh, for the Claremont Institute, and American Mind is dedicated to these kinds of topics. And Hadley Arcus, who is a who is a professor yep. at Amherst, a long time mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know intellectual when it comes to jurisprudence, has made this case for years, as well as Harry Jaffa and, and others in the kind of the Claremont orbit. And our, our argument is. The problem is that over the last 40, 50 years, the right has has shied away from talking about justice in terms of the Constitution. I mean, what we don't realize is even as a judge, right, even within the law, you can make moral arguments. And we shied away from that because it's scary. The other side uh, is against us. And we have an educational system that educates everyone, uh, all the conservative leaders as well, that tells them you can't reason about morality and that has nothing to do with politics. Now, the left, of course, knows that that's a lie and they act accordingly. The right, on the other hand, is trying to play, you know, quote unquote, fair. And and what we end up doing is we, we say, oh, well, uh, the judges shouldn't be making these determinations. Well, they are. And they're making them for the other side, right? For people I mean, like his Pat- columns on that, Matthew, are like the 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 uh, the insurance com- the the uh, Geico insurance commercial where the tattoo artist goes, "Stay in your lane, bro." I mean, that that's essentially his answer to all of these things. Well, what when they what do we do when they don't? What do we do when they don't? What happens? Right, and I think that there's a lot that can be done that is completely constitutional. Right? We have to remember that we've lived through a revolution in the law in the last 60, 70 years where the left has changed everyone's view, including people on the right, of how the Constitution operates and how the judges say operate. I'm sticking with that because French is a lawyer and uh, that keeps coming up in this debate. So, so our entire view of the Constitution has changed on the right. And what Arcus and others have, have done in this article on American Mind is argue even with the debates that we're having, right, there are ways to make an argument through the law like the left does for morality. So, for instance, all the arguments about um, you know, sexuality for the left, 
the legal arguments become public arguments that make a case, right? Look at this poor person, look at what happened to them. Don't we feel compassionate? Shouldn't we be talking about equality and justice in terms of their plight, right? Now, the right doesn't do this. They say, no, no, we deserve a seat at the table too, and everyone's equal maybe, but you know. And, and so, look, at there's ways to do this. So take abortion, right? Uh, there, Hadley Arcus and others passed the Born Alive Infants Act a long time ago, just to get everyone on the books to say, okay, after the baby comes out, is it still alive? Now that was smart. The reason they did that is because they knew that if you start talking about that issue, when is the baby alive, you can you, mm -hmm. you, you create a situation in which we can have a real serious argument about what's going on when it comes to abortion. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen, that, that, that uh, law has stuck around. Uh, Trump uh, took, up, uh, took up that banner and made some headway. So but the problem is, I think, is that you have a, a conservative establishment that's that's scared of making moral arguments. They've been educated in the same schools as everyone else. And they're also scared looking forward as to what policy, you know, how it should change. They're just they're stuck in a rut. And so right now is an exciting time to be alive because we have a lot of people who are making arguments about what the real principles should be on the right. And this is one of them. And this is why it's garnered so much attention. So you, you just think about, I mean, Sarab, he signed a statement in First Things in March. Then he came out against David French in June. This thing has dragged on now. There was a debate at Catholic University of America last week. And uh, this week, there's one at Notre Dame uh, through their constitutional studies program that will be live streamed with our own Charles Kessler uh, moderating. It's not going to go anywhere. And I think what's important is for us to take this debate and not make it so much about you know David French particularly. Mm -hmm. But, but to take this debate and start thinking more deeply about what do we want to do moving forward? What kinds of arguments do we want to make? And what kinds of policy? How should we rethink uh, our policy accordingly? And the problem is, you know, for, for uh, Mari is everyone keeps on saying, okay, well, what do you guys want to do, right? What do you guys want to do? You were talking about this new stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you want to do different? And one of the problems is to develop a detailed policy platform takes some expertise and institutional support. And guess what? All the think tanks in D.C. have been thinking one way for 40 years. Right. That's right. So, yeah. so, so this is going to take some time, but the first step is to start asking these fundamental questions. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? They're attacking us because they have a certain worldview they want to impose upon us. Do we have a unified stand against that? And if so, what, how then do we fight moving forward? And I think you'll, you're going to see a consolidation of forces. I think a lot of people are going to establish a new coalition uh, whether it wins or loses against the left in the next five to 10 years. So I've only got about 90 seconds here. I want us to be as fair as we can be to David for his service to the country. He's my Christian brother. Yes. As you've dialogued back and forth with him on this, and iron sharpens iron, as he brought a point forth that has made you guys reconsider your positions and made you think, you know what, that there's some wisdom there. Well, I think his strongest point is that practically... Um, in uh, conservative jurisprudence many times, you do want to argue, uh, you do have to argue defensively, and, and that's fair enough. I think, I think that point is fair enough. And I also think his question about what do you want to do moving forward, what does this mean policy-wise, is more than fair. And that's something that uh, we're all going to have to answer in the months and years to come. Matthew Peterson over the Claremont Institute. Uh, great conversation. We're going to be following uh, this dialogue a lot more closely now as it uh, as it continues to progress. And uh, thanks for joining us here today on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Thank you so much. Always good to be here. You bet. Todd, what do you think? 
when he said it's an exciting time to be alive, that's why I got him on. I, I, and, you know, ever since this kind of conversation started happening, uh, back Tucker Carlson's been a part of it on some levels. You don't have to agree with everything Tucker says or anybody says on this, but it is an exciting time to be alive. And a lot of that is people are catching up with this show. I don't know about ma- much about Matthew's past uh, beyond the last uh, yeah, five I'm hearing months. The, the, the frustration in his voice. And I, I, it reminds me of how oh. many of these conversations I've had in my own career with a lot this, of these same people. This yeah. is your career. Yeah. And people are now realizing, man, and not necessarily Steve Days was right. They're going to have to figure, you know, really swallow some hard to ever admit that, unfortunately. But it, this is the conversation that has to happen. It must happen. And it's a beautiful thing when it does. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me is is the the question that was posed there, I believe, by you uh, in the middle of this, and that is the crux, and it's the same question. It's a different version of the question that you've asked so many times. Where do we draw the line? When mm-hmm. the when when the when last, does life begin? When, when does, do we say no? Where right. do we draw the line? Right. Um, what happens when the the courts don't stay in their lane, bruh? Uh, what do we do mm-hmm. when they don't? I mean, when a child does or disobeys something, do we just rely on their goodwill? To hope right. that that doesn't happen. No, right. we course correct, and that is that is the again the crux of this debate. What do we do when they're not living up to their side of the of of, of the conversation and their side of the equation, and they are not, and that's consistently happening, uh, and even more so. If I could have, have advised Matthew and 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 so Rob and, and how to respond to the question, what do you guys want to do? I, I if I were sitting on the stage with David, I'd turn to him and say. What have you done? Mm-hmm. What have you, what 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 is what is your strategy gotten us? We're, we are aced out of every influence sector in this culture. So, you know, what have you done? Not, I mean, lose. That's what you did. You lost. Hour two is next. <laughs> All right, back here, live and on demand with Hour 2 here at the Steve Day Show on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would be very grateful because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms help us find more people like you, and then the more likely we are to get to continue to do this for a living. And I think we all want that. That's why you're here. 888-933-93 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. With mortgage rates falling and the economy growing, it's a booming real estate market right now. Before you take advantage of it, though, make sure you sign up with a real estate agent that you can trust. And you're going to find one at realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, you're going to find agents that have been fully vetted so that they have a proven track record of success. So that they understand a marketing plan includes more than let's do another open house on Sunday, three people show up to, and understand what the phrase professional courtesy means. They return calls, they return texts and emails. When they promise you, hey, I'm going to do my best you know, to give you, if you're selling with them, I'm going to give you my my very best to give you a 30-minute heads up when I've got a potential buyer in the neighborhood on short notice. And instead, this is the third time they've called you and said, hey, can we come by? We're just down the street. No, you don't want any of that. You want a real estate agent that you can trust, and you're going to find them fully vetted for you. And that's what separates this from other services, all right? Those are referral services that are trying to find clients for agent. This is about trying to find an agent worthy of having you as their client, all right? Go to the website, 
realestateagentsitrust.com. So we've got um, a Theology Thursday coming up. We're going to call a bit of an audible. And I want to answer Jeremy's email, but I'm going to do that tomorrow during Feedback Friday because I, I want us to have more of a follow-up conversation to the, uh, the interview we just did with Matthew Peterson at the Claremont Institute about the ongoing debate between Sorab Amari uh, from First Things, and I guess he's the op-ed page editor at the New York Post. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. I knew him from First Things. Uh, and then also uh, David French from National Review. And there's a couple of things that I think play into theology here quite a bit. In fact, I think this entire thing is a theological debate. And I, I've interviewed David numerous times, uh, I wouldn't, so I, I only know him a little bit just from those conversations. I've had no interactions with Sorab um, ever. You know, having read his stuff, though, at first things, I would imagine he understands a little bit of theology. All right. But this is where we get into the worldview discussion, even amongst people with the same theology. Because you can have the same theology as somebody, but have a different worldview. In that your understanding of your place in the world and and this moment in history, who's in control of it, who's in charge of it, can, can cause you, despite deep similar theological convictions, to act out and pursue those convictions in totally different ways. Now, I'm not interested in looking back. That's why I didn't pay much attention to this when it first started. Because it sort of looked to me like it was just a leftover proxy fight. All right, so what happens, and this happened again yesterday, every time Trump does something dumb, the vape ban, you know, the last remaining remnants of never Trump come out and plant the flag, all right? And then when there's a good jobs report and he cuts taxes or he moves the embassy in Jerusalem, you know, those who believe this was the United 93 election come out and and say, and first of all, I live in Iowa. I know some of these people, but I don't, I'm not invited to speak at their conferences. I don't live in Washington, New York. You know, I'm not around, I don't, I'm not in the click part of this, okay? So, I, I, I don't care, really. You know, I, I live in Iowa. I don't have to justify why I was never Trump in 2016. Any, I don't feel the need to justify that to you or you or you or anybody else. Any more than I feel the need to justify the day that Trump got inaugurated, we declared that dead on this show, and now it's about who's president and what's best for the country, and when he is right, we will agree with him, and when he's wrong, we won't. And I I don't even care. I, I could care in negative integers how much your panties get in a bunch when I criticize him over stupid things like the vaping ban or how much your panties get in a bunch when I'm appreciative of he does the things that I like. Like I love his wording on the pro-life issue, for example. I think that's very beneficial to our cause. I, I just, I don't need your approval. I don't crave it. I, I don't care. I hope you listen and like it. I don't go out of my way to alienate you, but getting your affirmation is not a driving force for me professionally and certainly not personally. And that's why you don't speak at those conferences. And that could very well be why. Some of this is just butthurt amongst peers that had differences of opinion. I get all of that. I've I've lost and gained and regained and relost so many friends over the years doing this for a living the way I do it that, you know, I, I can't even count that high anymore. So I'm not interested in any of that and I'm bored with it. 
You know, because the day is going to come when Donald Trump is not president of the United States. He's not omnipresent in our lives. And what are we doing then? Right? I'm interested in debating what's the path forward. And now that this debate has shown itself to be what it's really about. And maybe it was that at first, or maybe, and you and I were talking about this during the break, maybe Sorab was using a very clever, prov- provoking technique, which, as you pointed out to me in the break, to convict me, a technique that I have used in the past. Because it works. Because it works. When, when those above you, or those that view themselves as above you, are, are not willing to engage in your, in your attempt to hold them accountable or be skeptical of them. Find the area where they're sensitive and provoke them there. Provoke, it, 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 the old expression is poke the bear, right? So provoke them there. Because I'm, I'm not really comfortable questioning David French's conviction. I mean, this guy's served multiple tours in a uniform, including he re-enlisted in his 30s post 9-11. I, 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 that's not my place to question the valor of someone who put on a uniform on multiple occasions in my place. But as you pointed out to me, going there, is what drew David French out from behind the HTML code over there at National Review into actually having to face some scrutiny. And when I listened to the, what Matthew Peterson was saying, he was allied with Sorab. You're right, Todd. I heard so many parallels to the things I have said on this show for so many years. Even when he's talking about Hadley Arcus, who I've interviewed him in the past, I've quoted him in books I've written and articles I've written in the past, pointing out that they, that they were crafting pro-life policy to beg the question, when is a human being alive? Is that not what I have been I know. trying to get these pro-life leaders to do my entire career? All right? So now we're, we're getting to the place where this ultimately needed to go. The debate we're really having here, and this is Theology Thursday, so if you consider yourself a secular-minded conservative, this one may not apply to you, unless you're just fascinated by how those of us with a theistic worldview iron out our differences. In that case, grab the popcorn, all right? But it is Theology Thursday, not conservatism, you know, uh, Tuesday. It's Theology Thursday. This is the debate... David French and Sorab are really having. It's the same debate I once had with Tom Minnery at Citizen Link. It's the same debate I once had with Dr. Richard Land when he ran the, the political arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Who's in charge down here? Who's in charge? That's the debate we're really having. Is God sovereign or not? Are we to live on this earth as if he is not because of what's happening culturally or what the government says? Now, let me begin right away with the danger of acknowledging God's sovereignty in this situation. And yes, There is a danger to it, and we have to be very careful. Ravi Zacharias makes a fantastic cultural observation that if you look at the long arc of human history, what you're going to find is that whenever the church or the state exceeds its authority in a given given moment in time, you will get oppression. 
Meaning when the church believes it has a say in certain civic matters that it was not given a say over. Or when the state believes that it is here to be the church or tell the church what it is and isn't allowed to preach. You're going to get oppression. So if we're going to act as if God is sovereign, if we're going to behave as if God is sovereign, then it's not that we need to stop short and behaving that way. It's that we actually need to go all the way with it. Because I've, I've run into people who believe uh, that they are adamant about God's sovereignty, and that's why there still needs to be stonings like in Leviticus. Are they Christians? Because there's a, there's a new covenant now. Now, the moral law is not canceled out. Jesus said not one stroke, one letter of this law will be canceled out. But the, the penalty for the law has been paid. Who paid it? Jesus. He took the nails. He chose the nails. Martyrs like Stephen who came after him, they took the stoning on the behalf of others. They took the stoning so that a man named Saul of Tarsus was standing there that day and one day might be moved to become the Apostle Paul by what he had witnessed. So the law has not changed. The punishment doesn't declare the law. The law determines the punishment. So you can't, you don't get, those of you that believe in God's sovereignty, you don't get to pick and choose, well, God was sovereign in Leviticus, but he wasn't sovereign in the New Testament when he he said mercy triumphs over judgment. You don't get to do that. See, what I find is there's a lot of people that are pro-God's sovereignty, but then really aren't. They're pro his idea of sovereignty. Or their idea of sovereignty, I should say. Like, I don't believe anybody chooses God in the end. I don't. Why? Well, because we couldn't make a choice to follow God. We couldn't make a choice to be Christians if God had not taken the initiative of sending his son in the first place. So, in every relationship, there has to be an initiator. In every relationship, there is. Did you and your wife get together and mutually ask each other out at the, for the first date at the exact same time? Far from it. Somebody had to be initiate, initiator, right? I was pretty insufferable about it. Yeah, every, there's, every relationship, there's an initiator. Okay? But I don't know. I'm not God. I don't, I don't, I don't narrow his window down into how he chooses to initiate his relationship with each and every one of you. To believe that I have that authority would, would be to make myself God. Do I think it's entirely possible that God looks at some of you and realizes this one's really headstrong? So I'll put people strategically in their life to make them think that they're the ones that actually made the choice here. Sure. I mean, women are made in the image of God. Haven't they been doing that to men for centuries? Get the man to do what I know he needs to do by making, making him think it was his idea all along, <laughs> all right? I don't, I don't choose to limit the sovereignty of God. 
And what I find is there's an awful lot of people that think they're pro-God sovereignty who do. That, and, and, and it's funny because they like to rip Catholics a lot for their ritualism. This is actually very ritualistic thinking. That if it's not done in this particular way, through this particular process, then this really wasn't a preordained conversion. Hmm. Well, whose process is that? Yours. See, I think if you believe in God's sovereignty, then here's what you believe. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, and to whoever he wants. That's what I think God's sovereignty is. That we aren't owed anything. We're lucky to have oxygen to breathe. And he's God and we're not. That's what the sovereignty of God means. It doesn't mean we determine that God is sovereign when he acts and behaves in the way we like. And I think this is an important point to make because if we're going to then make the point that's going to come after, we have to recognize that for those of us who strongly believe in the sovereignty of God, we have to accept the limitations of man. Accepting the sovereignty of God does not mean we get more authority. It means we get less. <laughs> because if we grant ourselves, if the result of giving God, granting, acknowledging God his sovereignty, we can't grant God something that already belongs to him, so 40 and a slip. Um, if, the, if the result of acknowledging God's sovereignty is the elevation and authority of man, well, you know a tree by its fruit, right? So if the fruit on the tree is we, we people get more power, then you're not acknowledging the sovereignty of God. I don't care how many lines from Calvin's Institutes you're quoting. And this is where abuses of the acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God have come from the church in the past. Acknowledging the sovereignty of God should humble us, not make us arrogant. For therefore, by the grace of God, go we. boy, Boy, if God had not initiated his grace with me, where would I be? They're not a humble yet. I once, I once had a teacher, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is where I went to high school. Christian Reformed Mecca in America. And I once had a teacher, I grew up in a pagan home, as you guys know, talk, I've talked before about my home life, wasn't always the best. And I was acting out and being a, you know, a jerk face. And I once had a teacher say to me, he goes, well, it's okay, not your fault. You know, uh, you're not part of the frozen chosen, basically is what he told me. What a terrible thing to say. So we have to acknowledge if we're going to go here and say God's sovereignty is the answer, then we first, those of us who are going to say this, have a responsibility to then say, are we willing to abide by the same sovereignty that we're going to call others to? Because remember, in God's economy, Leadership doesn't come with authority. He's the authority. Leadership comes with responsibility. The man is the head of the home, not the authoritarian. He's responsible for it, which means if it goes haywire, he's going to hold you accountable because he's the authority. The master will return to settle accounts. You're not the master. He is. So with that out of the way, 
that disclaimer went long, but I wanted to make sure it was sufficient. It right? was. Right. Okay. With that out of the way, the real debate that's happening here is, is God sovereign or is the United States Supreme Court? Is God sovereign or is the library board? Is God sovereign or is the mainstream media? Because if, God, if you acknowledge that God is sovereign, you're going to ask questions like, okay, I agree we should use all of the normal processes we had that we were blessed with by our founding fathers. But when the people that are trying to end my way of life no longer abide by those, and in fact are taking pride in not abiding by them, and taking them over for the expressed written purpose of running them into the ground. So they took over my library board not to have cheaper fines for overdue books. They took over my library board so that some creeper or somebody who's mentally ill could get their derangement normalized while my kids sat on their lap and I paid for it. That's why they took it over. When that becomes obvious, what then? And I'll hang up and listen. What do we do? All right, so when you're done writing in National Review, David, stay in your lane, bro, and the judges don't. Okay, what do we do? What do we do then? We just write, stay in your lane, bro, again? Tell me what we do. That's why I said at the end of the last hour, I would, I would tell Matthew and Sorab, you don't have to answer the question of what to do instead at all. I'd turn it around. What if, instead of asking me, what do you want to do? What have you done? A half billion dollars a year to murder incorporated. Bake the cake, bigot. Our schools have jettisoned whatever was left of our legacy, and now our kids are more afraid of climate change and Israeli occupiers of their own land than they are of Islamic radicalism. What have you done? You lost a country, is what you did. And I'll tell you why you lost a country. I'll tell you why. Because you, you rejected the sovereignty of God. You instead chose to live under the sovereignty of man. You instead chose to live by Supreme Court precedent, except the laws of nature and nature's God. And so God gave you what you asked for. Like the people of Israel, you went to God and said, give us a king so we could be like everybody else. And you went to God and said, give us a capricious, all-powerful government, which we will manage with our special interests Instead, so we can be like everybody else. When you, had, you didn't have a king, but you had a constitution that made you unique, distinct. Did you get that up? And so now, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will always reap what he sowed. We're not going to sow this. If we reap the wind, we'll reap the whirlwind. That's what's going to happen. You liked having fiat courts when you were in control, just making laws. Well, then one day a Pharaoh rose who knew not Joseph. Well, their, their judges are making those laws now. Surveillance state was fine when Dick Cheney was in charge. Now it's not great when Barack Obama is. The largest welfare state program in American history. Medicare Part D was fine when George W. Bush was cutting the deal. But now Obamacare is not. You chose to deny 
your legacy, to deny your founding, that rights come from God, that men can govern one another when accountable to God, and that there is only one God. You are free to not worship him. He does not impose himself on his creation on a regular basis. He does sometimes, blessedly. Otherwise, we'd all be without mercy and grace. But coerciveness is not part of God's character. Rescuing is. Like, you know, when, he, when, when your child is running through traffic, you don't sit there and scream, come back to me, I don't want to violate your free will. What do you do? If you're a good parent, what do you do? Correct. Yes. You run into there yeah. to rescue them. So he doesn't, he, he's not into coercion, he is into rescue. He does rescuing. Thank him. Thank God he does, does rescuing. But he doesn't, he doesn't do coercion. You know who does coercion? The people that you're giving power and sovereignty to, they do. When they're turning your libraries into drag queen story time hour, David, the, the, the time for accommodation was long ago at an end. I, I understand why David was very hesitant because we're, we're in a partisan zeal right now. And oftentimes, I mean, we push back on this regularly on our show, right? Oftentimes, our audiences demand we overreact to things that tomorrow won't matter at all, right? Yes. And we push back on that horse bucky all the time, right? Yes. I, I'm, with them on, I'm with them on all of that, all right? And nor did I think this was the United 93 election either. I still don't think that, in case you're wondering. That being said, what I don't understand, I understand why the soldier is hesitant and is, and, is, and is urging people that have never seen the things he has seen and been forced to do the things he's been forced to do. I understand why he's saying, you know what, you guys are a bunch of keyboard jockeys here, keyboard commandos. You have no idea what the hell you're talking about. You don't really know what happens when, when, when sectarian differences in a culture become a zero-sum game. I've seen it. You haven't. I'm, I, I get that. I'm sympathetic to it. I understand. I don't understand because I, I haven't seen what he has seen, but I understand because of what he has seen why he is hesitant to go there. I get that. Here's what I don't get. When they're firing on your innocence, I don't get why the soldier instinct isn't to and that's why we have soldiers in the first place and we have to defend people like this. So here's how this plays out in the political arena. I get going to the library board and everything else. Hey, you guys sure you want to do this? But then when they're like, we're still going to, we're still going to rape your kids' minds. And after you've attempted to appeal to them and they're like, yeah, we don't care. We're the mob outside Lot's house. What I don't get is, well, can you give us a conscience clause? That's the part I don't understand. I get being very hesitant to go to war in any context. I don't get being hesitant to acknowledge it, though, when one's been declared on you. That's the part I don't understand. You cannot negotiate accommodation with people who are into power and control. This is going to be a worldview steel cage match. One worldview will enter, the other will leave. And the worldview really comes down to this. One of the smartest things I've ever heard anybody ever say in my career, Dr. James Dobson really narrowed it down. He said, there's really only two worldviews on this planet. God is, or he isn't. 
All your debates and arguments really come down to that. So do we tolerate and permit that which God says is wrong with no resistance? Because it might be upsetting to show some. Really? I don't, I don't, I don't see passivity. I don't, I don't see a God that puts himself in a human form to be born of a, of a woman. To have to do number two and number one and eat and thirst and sleep and bleed and get beaten to near disfigurement and death before he, before he asphyxiates on a, on a wooden beam in the heat of the day. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see passivity there. I don't. I don't see passivity when, when Jesus writes or says to John in Revelation, I am the ruler of God's creation. I am. I am. Where's the, why is that a key phrase? Moses says to God, well, who should I tell the people sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. And Jesus says, I am. I am. I am the ruler here. I am the ruler. Jesus' final words to his disciples before his ascension, all authority, all. I'm sorry, he meant except when Democrats win elections or pagans take over the U.S. Supreme Court. When that happens, he's not, he's not, there's no authority here. And we just cut the best deal we can get and hope for accommodation and maybe a conscience clause. Now, that would be a really long verse, hard to remember. It's also not what the verse says. All authority has been granted to me under heaven. All. Do we believe this or not? Now, as I said at the beginning, if we do, that doesn't mean we turn ourselves into many gods and we become many tyrants. But it should humble us as if to say, I'm not allowed to quit. I'm not allowed to compromise. I'm not allowed to hate you either. Because while I was his enemy, Christ died for me like he died for you while you're his enemy right now. So, so even in the midst of opposing you to my last breath, I still have to love you as my neighbor as I love myself. Which means if you don't step to me and my family, I won't step to you and yours. But if you do, I will defend my family because I was put in charge of it. Which means I'm responsible for what happens. And if I let you do harm to them without stepping forward and, and, and dying for my bride the way Christ died for the bride, the church, I'm going to get held accountable for that for eternity. Short of that, though, I will love you and give you all the accommodation that you also are willing to give to me. In fact, I'll give you even more. But when the time comes that you say, I have to change for you, I have to obey you as God, the answer is no. No. No is the answer. Because you are not Lord. He is. You're not sovereign. He is. So when they say, we're the sovereigns around here, what do we say? Can I get a conscience clause? Can I get an exception? See, that's really the debate So Rob Omari and David French are having. Is Jesus the ruler of God's creation or not? Is God sovereign or not? That's really what the debate boils down to. More in a moment. All 
right, back here, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We've had uh, some pretty heavy conversation at points uh, during today's program. So I think it's probably time to lighten the load a little bit with three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Three non-political questions, and Aaron will attempt to add some levity uh, to today's proceedings. Question number one, brought to you by our friends at Relief Factor. In America, if you're one of the millions of people struggling with what's called chronic pain, this is pain from inflammation, understand relief might be one click away. I'm a huge fan of this product. It's a part of my daily regimen as well, and it's called Relief Factor. All natural, drug-free, even though it's created by doctors. So this is a formula of natural ingredients meant to unleash your body's God-given ability to push back on inflammation. And right now, you can try it, and I would highly recommend that you do, for a dollar a day for three weeks. It's called the Starter Kit. That's how confident they are in their product and as someone that's been using this on a regular basis over the last few months and seen the changes it's made in my life they ought to be this confident all right if you want to try the starter kit for a buck a day what do you have to lose except maybe finally hopefully the pain go to relieffactor.com again it's called the starter kit 20 bucks for three weeks a buck a day at relieffactor.com Aaron so uh, I need to uh, I need to push back on something you said uh there that, that we need a little levity this first question is is a little bit more serious and question number one is do you believe that aliens exist on other planets oh man i'd almost rather talk about eschatology Aaron, todd you go first no you don't why tell, not tell me why uh i don't have sufficient reason to believe that they do so i don't need to and therefore i don't what would sufficient reason be? That, that they do exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, We're just going round and round. Yeah, and well, round. I, mean, I don't... Why? What? See, the, the need for the question often is like you're just... You end up in tautologies and things like that. I mean, what, the, the vastness. There must be something out there because... Why? I, that's that you're making a theological statement, not a reasonable. There, there, there must you're talking the vastness, the seemingly eternal vacuousness of space. But something must that's 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 not even reasonable to me. If it if it's that infinite and that vast, it seems to me it's a reasonable thing to say that it's it's the emptiness is in fact empty. It 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 is what we thought it was. I don't I don't have any yearning on a theological level i have no basis on a scientific level to believe that they exist i I mean i'd be if if somebody can counter in a a reasonable nature that the science points in there i just don't think anything realistically points in the direction i am fascinated by the idea that on one hand you can believe that the complexity of the human organism and it's 20 trillion cells is a totally random natural occurrence um, with with no purpose, 
no real origin other than the math finally worked after eons upon eons and millions and millions and millions of years of 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 just running through the process mindlessly, right? But then on the same token, assert what you just said. Well, the vastness of this of of, of space indicates there must be life somewhere else. Like I totally get why someone who believes in design looks at the vastness of space and says, it, it, you know, it would be it would be within the character of God to create this cosmos for a purpose other than mere observation. You see the distinction I'm trying to get? Because mm-hmm. one of the things you often hear is that um, it's a challenge. It would be a challenge to our faith if there was if there were life on other planets. Not I really, actually see no. it the other way around. Um, I, I, I kind of think if you believe in total randomness then and, and purposeless to life, why do you have a yearning to find life elsewhere? It's if we're Carl Sagan's pale blue dot, right? It's fascinating that he, yeah, that's what he called us, a pale blue dot, and yet SETI was his pet program. You think there's Why too many people on this planet and yes. you call us cockroaches and viruses? You want it to yes. be out there? Yeah, but then again, these are the same people like, America sucks, and that's yeah. why we need to bring all kinds of people to this racist, xenophobic, homophobic hellhole. It's a, it's a complete and total disconnect as far as I'm concerned. If I had to guess, I would guess there is some form of complex life elsewhere in the universe. What that looks like, what 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 and it would be based off of running the 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 it would be off of a theological conviction which is that god's not known to waste raw material and that's why i don't know that it's intelligent life or what i wouldn't peg what exactly that's why i use the term complex okay um you know something that you know there was a time that that a protozoa was a complex organism. Okay, so I, I would assume that there would be. I would guess probably there is because that would indicate more order to the universe. But again, I don't. You know, I don't have a deep thought on it one way or the other. Yeah, I would say at this point, probably not. Um, just because uh, we we haven't we haven't seen anything yet, there's not been. I mean, we haven't. Or even, that we know of. They're going to raid Area 51, and we're going to find true. out. That's okay? true. Yeah, but we haven't even found um, a, a piece of bact- a single single germ or bacteria anywhere yet that I know of, anyway. Uh, so th- that that really tilts towards the no for me. I, it is shocking to me, though, in all of our probes. All of our things that we've sent out into space, that uh, that people who are really hellbent, like you said, on finding life on other planets, haven't just made up something about finding a bacteria somewhere just to say, "Ha, there is life out there," uh, and uh, you 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 Bible uh, clutchers are, are you know are, are way off base. Well, we've got the space force theologically. Now. Yeah, that's true. So Theolo- maybe maybe Zephyrin Cochran can create yeah. warp drive, and we might make first contact here after all. Yeah, theologically though, I mean, there's nothing explicitly about aliens in the Bible, so we didn't need to know about it from a theological uh, standpoint. If there are aliens, they're not important uh, to our faith. If that makes sense. All right. Question number two, brought to you by. Uh, cruise builder, I've got good news for you. Uh, this incredible cruise that Glenn Beck and a lot of the VIPs here at the Blaze are leading you on next year is um, is expanding its entertainment options. But the bad news is, 
is not expanding the available uh, slots to go. Uh, in fact, it's it's darn near sold out. So uh, if you want to take advantage of an opportunity to, to learn about the birthplace of the Republic, of, of commerce, of our faith, if you, you're going to go to... Uh, to Greece, uh, to to Jerusalem, to Rome, uh, you're going to see where this, where did what eventually became in this part of the world known as American exceptionalism. Where did it come from? If you want to take advantage of this right now uh, and find out where our founding fathers got the idea that man could rule himself with divine accountability. Uh, you don't want to take it. You, you don't want to miss this. It's an all-inclusive trip, including all airfare and gratuities. But again, time is running short. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of fun, too. The learning will be fun. There'll be plenty of nightlife, fine cuisine. But it, it, it's a combination of the best of both worlds. It's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. If you want to learn more about it before they run out of slots, go to the website, comesailaway.com. That's comesailaway.com. All right. Question number two. What's on your Mount Rushmore of television channels or networks? Mount Rushmore of television channels or networks. Um, and it can be for any reason. doesn't have to be what they are now or just you can be on nostalgia, what have you. Well, it was it was close to being on my last nerve in the last few years, but it's ESPN is number one for me. I've watched that network more than every other network times 10,000 million combined. Okay. So um, ESPN would be on that list for me. You know what? I would have put like pre nineteen eighty nine MTV on that list. I mean, I don't. Do you remember coming home from school every day and turning that on? Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, when they actually had music videos. But so, but now it's. I don't know what it is now. I haven't watched it in like ten years, so I'm too old now. So it wouldn't make the list. Um, what networks do I watch a lot? Fox News would have been on my list until about five or six years ago, and I don't watch any of that anymore. Really? Um, you go. I got to think about uh, this because I don't watch a lot of networks. So let me think about it. It still is ESPN, but slash Fox Sports at all, kind of a, a, a sports go to. Uh, and I agree. Would at one point it would have been. I guess it's a Mount Rushmore, so it's a memorial, not a current thing, right? It, it okay. could be either. Thing. All right, so yeah. I'll go with ESPN. I'll put pre-19, in fact, I'll go to my senior year in high school, pre-1992 MTV, because the real, the real world debuted in 1992, and that's when the whole thing began going downhill. So pre-1992 MTV, um, I'll put uh, um, pre-2012 Fox News. All right, I'll put pre-2012 Fox News on there. And I need one more? So let me think about it. You go ahead. I got to come up with one more because there's four, right? Mm -hmm. I would okay. not have MTV. Uh, I would have put Fox News. Uh, now uh, Food Network absolutely would be on there. Spent a lot of time. And, uh, you know, part of this, your mom watched, you, you know, uh, two shall become one. That's what my wedding ring says uh, in Latin, you know. You're, like Steve says, uh, he, date night, take one for the team. Movies kind of like this. Uh, we have more of that along the lines of, you know, uh, it it drives me nuts. But especially early on in my marriage, there was a lot more of that uh, home and garden. You know, watching the yeah. design shows. I have watched a lot of design shows in my life. So that's an ode to my wife. She loves it. I like seeing her happy. So you just sit down and you say, that's, you know, kind of nod and say yes. And now that's interesting. Yeah. You know, like when Paul went to the Areopagus, when he went to Mars Hill, and he noticed they had a tomb to an unknown god there. They had all these other, you know, or, or altars to an unknown god. Mm -hmm. They had all these altars to all these other gods, and they had the unknown god. All right, I'm going to have the fourth spot 
just a generic live sports, whether it's on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, all right, generic uh, CBS Sports Network, uh, NHL Network, MLB Network. I like watching MLB Network during the season on game nights where they take you around and give you live look-ins on the games, right? So my fourth slot is going to be generic live sports. Cool. That, that's what it's going to be. Nice. But but I could see I could see the Food Network. If you ask me this question again in a couple of years, I could see the Food Network. It's 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 gaining rapid popularity in our home. Yeah. Good. So only one of these is based on current, and I still um, either listen or watch uh, ESPN quite a bit, just because they're the good go-to news source. You can have it on in the background, kind of basically anytime. Uh, but my other three, one would be uh, NBC because they produced both Parks and Rec and The Office, which are two of my favorite shows. So that's cool. And uh, CBS, actually, this is a nostalgic take, but back when I was a young, a youngling, a, a young kid, um, I used to want to be a meteorologist, and uh, I'd get up at like 4 or 4.30 in the morning to watch the, uh, the news, the local news on, on the, the local CBS affiliates, uh, every day, and then you know, uh, late at, or later on in the evening, I'd watch the CBS Evening News with uh, with Dan Rather all the time, even though I had no idea what was going on and the spin that I was being fed. At the same time, there is some nostalgia there for that. Uh, and then, lastly, uh, Cartoon Network. I, I used to go when I was young as well. I used to go over to my aunt and uncle's house, and they had cable, yeah. and uh, would watch uh, Cartoon Network you know what? back when they actually had you know cartoons. On. I loved Boomerang. Because he used to run all the old Super Friends and all the cartoons sure. that we grew up uh, on Saturday mornings. That's the, that's the channel I used to watch. All right, question number three, brought to you by Home Title Lock. Again, we mentioned this at the top of the show today. Uh, so many of us, uh, our most valuable investment is all that equity we have stored up in our homes. It could be tens of thousands. It could be hundreds of thousands. It could be, hey, I'm, I'm keeping that there because like Todd, you've got four daughters, so you've got four weddings to pay for. And that's going to be that wedding fund one day until you go to take it out and it's not. Okay, because online thieves have stolen it. It's called home equity theft. And the reason it's working nowadays is because so much of our information is kept online. Uh, The thieves hack into these databases. They sell, make it look like you sold your home to them. And then they liquidate all of that equity. You get stuck with the late payments, the foreclosure notices. Your identity theft can't protect you, not even your bank or mortgage lender. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. We'll put a virtual barrier around your most valuable asset. So if they detect any any funny business at all, any tampering with your home's title, they will mobilize to shut it down. And you can try them right now for risk-free, for 60 days of risk-free protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Our third and final question, Aaron. What's the best costume you've ever worn? Probably... You know what? Whenever you ask me these, I like to always go with the ones that the go first thing head. goes yep. into my head because there must be a reason it's embedded in the subconscious right there at the surface level. When um, we lived in Florida for a few years in Orlando uh, when I was uh, in elementary school. And one, and so the beauty of when you live in Florida is, is you know, Halloween night, it's, it's still 85 degrees, okay? So my mom put together one killer incredible hulk costume for me with the shredded shirt you know based off the lou ferrigno show from our childhood back in the day so my the with the shirt the shirt shredded i got some cut off jeans you know some 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 cut offs and frayed the fabric painted my all my arms and my face and everything all green all right with green body paint uh and got some of the old 80s hairspray out 
you know, with the frizzled hair and got that going. And the fact that when you asked me that, that was the first costume that came to mind means that has to be the correct answer. So I would say Halloween, 1983, Orlando, Florida, or maybe it was 1982, one of those two years, me going as the, uh, as the Lou Ferrigno Incredible Hulk would be my greatest costume ever. You know, this is why Star Wars is in our DNA if you're Stephen Wine's age. I mean, the, the, it, the coming of age, uh, when, so when it's 77, uh, I'm five, six, uh, and it's at, at that time when Halloween comes around and you have the cardboard box with the clear cellophane on top and you've got the Vader mask or the Luke mask or the Chewbacca mask, the plastic thing with the eye holes. I remember that Halloween to this day. Just the, <laughs> the magic. It's like in E.T. when E.T.'s under the white hood and he's walking around and he sees somebody in a Yoda costume. And it was just like you were... It was... It's like what Disney is trying to do, and I haven't heard about it. That's a question I have for you um, about the new Star Wars um, Galaxy's Edge or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was real-life Galaxy. You were walking in it. It was amazing to be a little kid, and you felt like you were part of this universe. So it's I'm not Halloween now. Um, it, it doesn't have much magic to me. It's like my wife hates the holiday. I'm just kind of like, okay, get some candy, kids. But um, back then... It felt like magic. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I was maybe four or five. And yes, I remember this. This was a long time ago. Uh, I, I was very excited to uh, dress up for the Harvest Festival. Harvest Festival. Indeed. Make sure those homeschool credentials stay firm. You know it. Firm, yes. You know it. Um, as a dinosaur. Nice. And uh, I remember getting up in front of the group of kids and without being prompted, announcing uh, very importantly that I was, in fact, a dinosaur. Uh, and I didn't really wear many costumes after that. So that's the end of that story. Wasn't that exciting? I thought for sure you were going to say, I got up as a dinosaur, and one of my siblings was like Job Noah, <laughs> sure i'm going with this yeah okay yeah. and and he's going to slay leviathan now yeah. i shouldn't have done that i'm sorry the emails are gonna pour in now all right we go from yeah there are there's complex life out there to i, I, I should have, have, have a talk with ken ham right now but you cannot you can't just hang a curveball like that and not expect me. Yeah, that's true. To take a swing yeah, at that's it. That's true. Yeah. All right, we're going to stick around and do it a little overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. Uh, John Miller, our White House correspondent, is going to join us. And we're going to take a look at uh, tonight's latest Democratic presidential debate. The four of us will predict what we think is the big headline coming out. All right. So if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, just wait for it to be posted. If you're not, blazetv.com slash dace if you'd like to be. For the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.